0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew.
1: love is calling Very, very deceptive, very, very conniving, very, very sinful. And yet David was a man after God's own heart. It's hard for us to sometimes understand how that can be. And yet God knows the heart. And he sees our failures. And he's a merciful God who forgives us of our sins. And David was such a man that even though he had fallen in different ways, even though he had dishonored God in different ways, that he cried out for God's mercy. This is even before Jesus dying on the cross. And yet we see the merciful hand of God forgiving David, restoring him.
0: Jesus came from the line of Jesse, the father of famed King David. This connection could have been an embarrassing one. Scripture lays out the sins of David pretty clearly, and they aren't minor. He was an adulterer and murderer. He made some big mistakes as a leader and a father. Yet, as Pastor Gary will point out in today's message, because of God's mercy and grace, King David is esteemed as one of the greatest men in Scripture. It wasn't his perfection, but his humility that made him stand out from the crowd. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
1: It's an interesting fulfillment, by the way, when you think about it. Isaiah 9, 6. So we quote this a lot at Christmas, but it says this. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and we will call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now listen to that again. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Those are two different terms. There's a birth, to be born, but to be given is a term of adoption. Jesus was both born through Mary, but he was adopted by Joseph, a fulfillment of Isaiah 9.6. So as we begin to read this, keep in mind here now, this is a Jewish audience primarily receiving this as we read through this genealogical record. And one of the things I'm going to do here, and I don't do it just because I want to point out the worst of the group, but we're going to notice some of the bad apples in the family tree of Jesus. Jesus. Now, I don't need to ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure if I were to ask how many of you have a few bad apples in your own family tree, you'd be quick to admit it. We all do. have got a few bad apples from now on. And when you look through this list with me, you're going to see a few bad apples. Right here at the beginning. Now, notice verse 1. He starts out, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Right there is Jewish. Because Matthew is wanting his readers to understand this is a fulfillment. He's a descendant of the patriarch Abraham through the patriarch David. This is Jesus Christ, ben David, ben Avraham. Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham. And he starts the record with Abraham. Verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Now, now you'll notice that from verse 2 to 6, and there's a bit of a separation, and then you have the rest of verse 6 through down through verse 11. And then you have a separation. You have verse 12 down through verse 16. And what Matthew's going to do here is he's going to divide the genealogical record of Jesus into three sections of 14 generations each. The first section here is from verse 2 down to verse 6, and he starts with Abraham, who was the father of Isaac. Now, circle the word Abraham. Circle his name. Many of you are going to be very familiar with some of these guys. But just to remind you, he was um, one of the bad apples. I don't disparage your character. I'm just, there, there's a point in me pointing this out at the end, so just bear with me. The fact is, this is what the Bible says about them, okay? That Abraham lied, and not once, but a few times. There's so a couple of occasions in Genesis 12 and in Genesis 20. You remember when he didn't want to be killed because his wife was beautiful, he married Sarai. And because she was beautiful, he lied when he was in front of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, in Genesis 12, and when he was in front of Abimelech, the king of Gerar, in Genesis 20. And he lied and he said that she was his sister because he was trying to save his own hide. The reason was because in those days, a powerful king would take beautiful women into his harem, unless she happened to be married and if she was married, then the king wouldn't take her into his harem unless it just so happened that her husband met with a tragic accident. In other words, they would kill the husband, so then they would free up the woman, and then he could take the woman into his harem. Well, you know what Abraham did? Not a very courageous man. He said, well, she's my, she's, she's, she's my sister. She's my sister. So that they wouldn't kill him. Now, it's, it's a half-truth, okay? Because the Bible says that Sarai and Abraham were half-brother and sister, Okay? She was his half-sister. They had the same dad, Genesis twenty twelve tells us. I know it's a little bizarre, but um, some of that goes on not too far from here. But anyhow, um, it's a half-truth. A half-truth is a complete lie. He's doing it completely to save his own hide, but yet he is the patriarch that God used. He is Abraham, and he was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. Oh, we come to Jacob on the list. We know enough about Jacob. You've been with us through the study of Genesis. You know how the Bible talks about Jacob being a deceiver. That's what his very name means. He deceived. He manipulated. He took advantage of people. He was conniving till God got a hold of his heart. But that was his nature. After he had an encounter with the Lord, the Lord changed his name to Israel. He went from Jacob, Yaakov, meaning deceiver, to Israel, meaning governed by God. But his his, uh, reputation was that of a deceiver and a manipulator. And and Jacob became the father of Judah and his brothers. Remember, Jacob was the patriarch of 12 sons. And Judah was one of his sons. Circle Judah's name. He's no shining example either. Judah slept with his daughter-in-law. Now, as bad as that is, you might think, well, let's cut him a break, because if you know the story, he only thought she was a prostitute. He didn't realize that she was his daughter-in-law. Does that make it any better? See, Judah had a couple of sons. He had a son, Er, and he had a son, Onan, and he had a son named Shelah. You know, that last boy got beat up in the playground, all right? Well, the Bible says that Er and Onan, his first two sons, were wicked in the sight of the Lord, and God killed them. God killed them. Well, his son, Er, was married to a Canaanite woman, a Gentile named Tamar, as she's mentioned here in the genealogical record of Jesus. And when Tamar then was without a husband, in those days particularly, women were uh, often left destitute if if they weren't married. And so Tamar took matters into her own hands. She heard that her father-in-law was passing by. She dresses up like a prostitute, seduces him. He sleeps with her. She conceives. And born to them, right there in the record, verse 3, are Perez and Zerah. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now, listen to her on the genealogical record. This is an interesting person because she's a Gentile and she's a prostitute. We first read about her in Joshua chapter 2. She helped the uh, Israeli spies, when they first came to spy out the promised land, she hid them in her home. It's interesting because it says that the, the Israelite guys, when they were spying out the land, first went to her place. I don't know what that says about, let's just go to a brothel. And that's where they went. And there she was. But the Bible says that she believed their God and she hid the spies. She lied about them being there. She ties this scarlet cord around her window by the instruction of the spies. She says, please remember me when you come back to take the land and don't kill me and my family. Please take me with you. She becomes a proselyte to Judaism. She's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of faith because she gave lodging to the spies and she believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She's taken into Judaism as a proselyte and she ends up here in the genealogical record of Jesus. But again, she's a prostitute. She's a prostitute. Well, Boaz, verse 5, became the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Now, Ruth was a Moabite. Moabites were children of incest. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 19. This is what happened. When Lot lived in Sodom, and the angel of the Lord came couple of them did, to pull Lot and his family out of Sodom before God destroyed the city of Sodom. The Bible says that as Lot and his wife and uh, their daughters were fleeing uh, to higher ground, that uh, Lot's wife looked back. You know the story. She was turned to a pillar of salt. Then Lot continues with his daughters to higher ground, and Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed. Well, now the daughters of Lot think to themselves, what are we going to do? We have no children. The city is destroyed. We have no husbands. We don't know where we're going to find, you know, this is way before eharmony.com. And what are we going to do? So then you know what they do? They sit around and they decide, you know, let's do this. Let's get dad drunk and then we'll sleep with him. We'll have sex with our father. Isn't this twisted? And this is what's in the genealogical record of Jesus. You thought you had a few bad apples in your family tree? You got to read this story here. So they sleep with their father Lot. They each get pregnant and they have children Moab and Ammon. And the children of Moab are the Moabites, and the children of Ammon or the Ammonites. They are children of incest. Ruth is a descendant of the Moabites, she is a Gentile. And yet she will end up being the great, great, sorry, just the great grandmother of King David the great-grandmother of King David. And she's mentioned here in the genealogical record. Well, continues verse 5, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. Well, how much do we need to say about this guy? I mean, his life has been, you know, so uh, made public through the pages of the Bible that uh, even people who don't really know much about the Bible know this about David, that he committed adultery but they may not know he's also an accessory to murder because he tried to cover up his adultery by seeing to it that Bathsheba's husband was put on the front line of war and then killed so that then he could just take Bathsheba home as his wife and the pregnancy that occurred because of the adulterous relationship would then be thought of as just the two of them who got together as husband and wife. Very, very deceptive, very, very conniving, very, very sinful. And yet David was a man after God's own heart. It's hard for us to sometimes understand how that can be, and yet God knows the heart, and he sees our failures, and he's a merciful God who forgives us of our sins. And David was such a man that even though he had fallen in different ways, even though he had dishonored God in different ways, that he cried out for God's mercy. This is even before Jesus dying on the cross, and yet we see the merciful hand of God forgiving David, restoring him. Now, David would never really assume the same role and responsibility and privilege and status that he once enjoyed— Somebody once said that David was like a bird with his wings clipped. He would never quite soar as high. But yet the Lord had mercy on him and continued to use him for his glory even after his moral failure because God is never finished with us even after we fail him. There's grace and forgiveness for sinners. And yet David is listed in this genealogical record. We see also here in verse 6 that David was the father of Solomon, Well, so here we have David's son Solomon. He was, to say the least, a womanizer. He had numerous women. Uh, The Bible said that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Can you imagine that? I don't mean imagine that, okay? I don't mean imagine that. I just mean imagine that. 700 wives and 300 concubines. Think about the closet space. I'm serious. It's a lot of shoes. But anyway... Solomon introduced idolatry in a terrible way in Israel. 1 Kings chapter 11 tells us that his foreign wives, these were pagan women that he married. These were not godly women. These were pagan women that he married. And it says that his wives led Solomon astray. And he incorporated their idolatry into the land of Israel. And it even says in 1 Kings 11, when you read verses 1 through 9, it even talks about how, how Solomon set up altars to Chemosh and to Molech. In a stone's throw of the temple that he had built for God. And on the altars of Chemosh and Moloch, they would sacrifice children. Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and yet he's mentioned here in the genealogical record of Jesus. In verse 7, it says, well, actually, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. That's Bathsheba. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam is also noteworthy because he split the kingdom. Uh, There was a divide within the kingdom of Israel. Uh, One of Solomon's officials, Jeroboam, uh, took the tribes to the north. Rehoboam, Solomon's son, mounted a bit of a revolt, and the kingdom was divided from this point forward. Rehoboam, Solomon's son, took the southern kingdom. Jeroboam, one of Solomon's officials, took the northern kingdom. But Rehoboam was a divider, and he split the kingdom in an effort to get, as a matter of a power grab for himself. We see here further that Rehoboam is the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. This is an interesting character. Jehoram is, is uh, mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 8. He's the fifth king of Judah. He becomes king at the age of 32 and he reigns for eight years. But what is distinguished about Jehoram's life is that he had his six brothers murdered because he was afraid that they might try to take over the throne. He's a murderer but he's mentioned here in the genealogical record of Jesus. He's the father of Uzziah. Verse 9, Uzziah the father of Jotham. Jotham the father of Ahaz. Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was one of the most evil, wicked kings that there were. He was the 14th king of Judah. He became king when he was 12. And he was evil and he was wicked. He restored the high places the groves he replanted. These are all idolatrous places. He got out the, the statues of Baal and the statues of Ashtoreth, the male and the female goddess, god and goddess of uh, the Canaanite people. And the Bible says that the gods of Ammon and Moab and of Edom were zealously worshipped everywhere. He engaged in sorcery and sacrificed his own son in the worship of these false gods. 2 Kings 21 verses 1 through 12. And yet Manasseh is listed in the genealogical record of Jesus Christ. Manasseh was the father of Amon, Amon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Here's the third group of the 14 generations. After the exile to Babylon, verse 12, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abayud, Abayud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim the father of Eliud, Eliud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Matan, Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called, here's Matthew again, who was called the Christ. He is the Messiah. Now notice this next verse. This is important. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, that's the first section, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon. that's the second section, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. Now, understand something, this, is, this goes to the root of Judaism, this goes to something relative to the Hebrew language. The Hebrew language was a part of what is called gematria. Gematria means that there were numerical values attached to every Hebrew letter that is the case for Hebrew, that is the case for Greek, that is also the case for Latin, and some of the ancient classical languages contained a numerical value for every single letter in the alphabet. Now, this is critical to understand because when we talk about the accuracy of the Bible and how scribes would pen the Word of God, every scribe was meticulous after they wrote a line in Hebrew, which actually... I did what is normal in English. We, we read from left to right. We write from left to right. Hebrew, you write and read from right to left. When they would get to the end of every line on a scroll, they would add up the numerical values of all the letters. And if the math was off, they would start the scroll over. So that every single time as a double check to make sure that they were copying everything accurately through the texts as were inspired by God, they would count up mathematically to make sure everything added up. If something did it, they would rip up the scroll and start over again. It maintained and preserved accuracy of Scripture because they measured and counted every single letter. So the question becomes, is there significant about 14? Is there something significant about that number? Three sections of 14. Well, first, what is important to note is that everything in the Bible that is found in triplets is for the purpose of emphasis. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This is a section of triplets. There is something that Matthew is saying here of emphasis. 14. 14 and 14. Now, here's where it gets curious. When you talk about gematria or numerology as it relates to a numerical value attached to every single letter in the Hebrew alphabet, what we find is that the name David in Hebrew is David, and when you see it in Hebrew, this is how it looks. It is three letters in the Hebrew uh, because they don't have vowels. They only have consonants. So reading from right to left, not left to right, you would read the, the, the letters Dalet, Vav, Dalet, or again, his name, David. When you look at the m- numerical value attached to Dalet, Vav, and Dalet, it is six, four, four, sorry, four for Dalet, six for Vav. You have a total of 14 for the name David. To a Jewish mind, the emphasis of 14 in triplets would have been a reminder to them that Jesus is the son of David, the son of David, the son of David. He is the fulfillment of that messianic promise. God said in 2 Samuel chapter 7 to and about King Saul, after King Saul had failed to be a good first king of Israel, God said this, Second Samuel 7, The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. Now listen to this. He is the one who will build a house for my name. Now the plans for the building came through David. David. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me your throne will be established forever this is god's promise to david in retrospect to saul's failure but this is the promise spoken to david through nathan the prophet And listen again, he says, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. In Isaiah 9, verse 7, it says, Of the increase of his government, speaking about Messiah, and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So when we read this genealogical record... Bear in mind a few things. First of all, reading it from a Jewish mindset, he's making this emphasis at the end like an exclamation mark. 14, 14, 14. David, David, David. Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of David. But I want you to go away with me also gleaning from this genealogical record this important principle. And I just kind of wrote it out so we can just appreciate what's, what's going on here. Though the genealogical record of Jesus Christ is littered with a trail of human failure, God will use imperfect people for His perfect plan. He is a God who redeems our past failures to bring forth His future purposes. You can't help but look at this family tree of Jesus and realize that if God should providentially choose to use these kinds of people, evil, wicked, child killers, prostitutes, descendants of incest, all of these things that you see throughout the genealogical record of Jesus, and you realize that from this came forth the Messiah, the Savior of the world, it should be a reminder to us that God will continue to redeem us and to use imperfect people for His good and perfect purposes. Because why? He is a God of redemption. He is a God of grace. He takes messed up people like all of us and He brings His good and glorious purposes through us for his glory and for his honor just as he did through this twisted messed up record of those leading to the very birth of Jesus the Messiah
0: Hope is an open ocean. Jump in you find the your connection run towards your new life. Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Matthew on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can download our mobile app, too, while you're there. It's under On The Go. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45, as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. CornerstoneConnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. And you can meet the staff. If you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us to study Matthew. And we hope you'll tune in again to learn more about Jesus. That's right here on Cornerstone Connection.
1: They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know